Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thanks, Pam. So I had someone tell me in passing this week, very nonchalantly, which I actually took great offense to, that I struck them as the kind of person that loses things all the time. Rude. But, yes, as a matter of fact, I do lose things all the time. Uh, To my own credit, it is not that I accidentally have floppy pockets and just have them dropping out all the time. I don't leave a trail of personal debris behind me. That's not what happens. What happens is that I have great intention of placing something somewhere I will remember. But as soon as my focus is off of it, I immediately lose track of it. I cease to see it when that's not where my mind is. And I remember being young and I would say to my parents that I'd lost something and the first thing out of their mouth would be, well, did you actually look for it, Andrea? And of course I'd actually looked for it, but the second they go into my bedroom, they come out 30 seconds later and they're like, it's right here, it was right in front of your eyes. So this is my question of the week for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and just have a brief conversation, one minute, no more. What is something you misplaced or lost recently. It doesn't have to be this week, but something you recently misplaced. Think about it. Have a little conversation. Go ahead. Thank you for indulging. I hope whatever it is, you find it. This week, you lost it this past week, you find it this upcoming week. Uh, Anne and I were in an absolute flap this past week because we thought we'd lost a sizable year-end donation check to this community. And we decided to retrace our steps. I role-played the circumstance from having the conversation to holding the check in my hand. I remember walking to the photocopier. I remember inviting Anne out of the office. And I remember talking, as I usually do, like this, with the check still here. And I remember handing it to Anne. Anne does not remember 
that part. There's already a discrepancy. So, so Anne goes back and she's like, okay, if I'd taken it, I would have brought it to my office. I would have put it down on my table. I would have sent Serena an email. I would have, maybe it would be in my drawer. We tore her office apart. We tore it apart. We went back in her camera roll to look at the, because we were always taking pictures, to look at the outfit she was wearing the day I would have handed her the check in case she put it in the pocket. We texted Claire and said, go through the laundry, Claire. We've got a missing check. Yeah, we did. We, we did all of that. Uh, and this went on for two days uh, before we realized that despite the fact we had looked, the check was already in the bank account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I can't speak for Anne. <laughs> but for me, it's not that I lose things. That's not the problem. The problem is I really struggle to find them. And that is... <laughs> An excellent analogy for my faith as well. <laughs> this season of the church year, this liturgical season, as we call it, we've just entered into, is epiphany. And in Greek, this word epiphania means appearing or revealing. It begins the Sunday after Christmas with the appearance of the star in the sky, slowly revealing to the magi as they followed it the birth of Jesus. It's a slow process. And over the season, it takes us well into February, right up until the season of Lent, we start to see the things that are revealed to us in our lives. We see doves. We hear voices in our scripture stories. We see water turned into wine. We see transfiguration. And through all of this, what is revealed to us is both super ordinary and very extraordinary. These are simple things turned surprising. Not because of magic, but because we have committed to the search for them. There's a scientific philosopher, Thomas Kuhn, who was the first to argue that there, it's not flashes of brilliance that have changed our scientific thinking over time, not these eureka moments. What happens is that it is a slow process by which all of our assumptions unravel and we have to start looking for other explanations. So many of us are in this process of deconstructing our assumptions. Our assumptions about God, our assumptions about life, about health, about politics, about money, about vocation and purpose, about media. We are deconstructing constantly. We live in a world of unraveling assumptions. And it's hard to see the extraordinary in the midst of all of that if we are not willing to search for the new explanation if we're not willing to endeavor the reconstruction as we go, what we see is just a mess. So I want us to think about this short season of Epiphany as the invitation to begin our journey of reconstruction. If you have been deconstructing yourself or your relationships or your consumption, your faith, may this be the season and the sign you are looking for to start searching for new explanations. This morning, we heard the story of the baptism of Jesus. And my quick history lesson slash fun fact of the day 
is that in the patristic era, the church fathers, patristic church fathers, so this is the first to eighth centuries, the thought process of these men, Augustine, Gregory of Nazianzus, Basil of Caesarea, Athanasius, the good old boys, don't Google them, just the good old boys. We'll stop there. They thought that this story was, and I quote, an acute embarrassment to the church as a whole. Because why? Why would Jesus, the Son of God, without sin, our scriptures say, need to be baptized? Let alone by a man who dressed like this. And yes, that is your lead minister, John Pentland, eight years ago, dressed as John the Baptist, following quite accurately the description in our scripture uh, of what John the Baptist looked like. Okay, thank you for that. Please hide that and we'll never look at it again. Why would God's own flesh and blood need to be washed anew, to be cleansed in the River Jordan by a blasphemous, bug-eating, that-dressing evangelist nonetheless? Up until this point, Jesus had been living his life like many of us live our lives leading into early adulthood. He was being parented he was playing, he was working, he was learning, he was absorbing like a sponge all that was going on around him in the world. He was pushing boundaries, he was asking questions, he was submitting to authority and breaking quite a few rules. He was growing up. His ministry, while hinted at prophetically, had not yet begun. And as this man in the wilderness, John the Baptist, on the banks of the Jordan, Jesus' cousin, begins preaching, we witness the holy unraveling of Jesus' faith as it had been taught to him and watch him undertake an exploration of what else it could mean. When Jesus arrives on the banks of the river, it is John who says, I, not John Pentland, John the Baptist, who says, I should be baptized by you. John, whose mother is Elizabeth, the one that Mary went to go and see and tell her about her pregnancy, he, he grew up hearing this story. He grew up knowing that his cousin, this elusive cousin, was the son of God. He'd heard these mythical stories his entire life. He knew who Jesus was. Jesus arrives, and John does not feel worthy of baptizing him any more than you or I might. And yet Jesus responds, no, this is the proper way. And with this one act of surrender, this one act of solidarity with all those who had come to John to be washed clean, Jesus' identity as God's own is made known not only to us, but to him. And the power of God's love for us is made manifest in something tangible, a sign that we can see. Chapter 3, verse 16 says, Just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. This passage says everything we imagine to be true about Epiphany. Something happens and suddenly 
we see differently. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit descends. Suddenly, all the challenges that were ahead of us dissipate. Suddenly, we have a new identity. And suddenly, if you are anything like me, you leave very disappointed because that has never been the case. So here is the good news. Epiphany is not something that is predicted for us. It's something we have to practice. This is the search. It's why we're here. Tim Berners-Lee, uh, some of you might know that name, this is the man who invented the World Wide Web. He's the victim of what people call the epiphany myth. This is the idea that, like the story of the apple bonking Newton on the head, these brilliant ideas and ahas and glimpses of the divine just come to us. And he says this, he says, journalists have always asked me what the crucial idea was or what the singular event was that allowed the web to exist one day when it hadn't the day before. And they're all frustrated when I tell them there was no eureka moment. It was a process of accretion. That means growth by gradual addition. This is not to say that the burning bush didn't suddenly appear to Moses or the dove suddenly descend upon Jesus, but that the journey of this kind of revelation is one of first going into the deep and then choosing to emerge one step, one breath at a time into a new understanding, a new way of seeing. Amazing things happen around us all the time. God is appearing to us all of the time. And we get to choose whether or not we notice. This is our faith journey. This is our reconstruction. This is the search not, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. But where are you, God? I am looking. Can we see it? Moses led his flock to the far side of the wilderness, right to the edge where he had never been before, and that's where he saw the burning bush. Jesus entered the river, allowed himself to be humbled by the murky water that had wet so many others, and this is where... This is where God's spirit descends. The unraveling is where the revealing begins. What feels impossible for you right now? What feels monotonously ordinary? What feels pointless? What feels like it's no longer working? What feels like it's not worth believing in? What feels dangerously mundane? Go searching there. Ask the questions. Let it unravel. Follow that sign. Our body is constantly speaking signs to us. Follow that sign with curiosity and openness in the hopes that what you seek, you might actually find. Are you willing to dive into the water, however uncomfortable, in search of what is next, in search of what God has in store for you next? It's 2023. Here we go. 
are you willing to ask of the dangling threads and the tangled yarn how else they might be trying to explain themselves? It's a mess, but it's not just a mess. Because it is not until Jesus emerges from the depths that he recognizes his anointing and is given the promise, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. A promise that is given to him before, before he has entered into the wilderness, before he has called his first disciples, before he has performed miracles of feeding and healing and resurrection on the Sea of Galilee, before he has turned over tables, before he has given his life, God's voice rains down and says, you are my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased, not will be. I am well pleased. This epiphany this revealing of God is not a prediction of what is to come for Jesus, but a promise of what already is and what shall be if we endeavor to practice it and to look for it or to just be open to it when it comes. Was that Jesus? There's no harm in asking that question. When we walk into the water, the water that is not only for the righteous, but for the reluctant, the water that is not just for the holy, but for the hopeful. The water that is not just for the blessed, but for the broken. When we allow ourselves to enter into the deep, one foot in front of the other on that journey, we risk everything. Just ask our friend Danielle, who was baptized in the river last year. The water is cold. It is uncomfortable. <laughs> But we allow ourselves to go there and we risk we risk the ordinary tap water river water a table a loaf of bread we risk the ordinary remaining ordinary we take that chance we risk the reality that a revelation doesn't necessarily mean happily ever after it didn't for Jesus why would it for us we risk hurt and sorrow and disappointment. We risk all of these things. And maybe in all of it, in all of our deconstruction and our disappointment, the mundane and the extraordinary, maybe God is still there, revealing God's self to us in all of it, descending like a dove upon us, even with the promise that we are beloved and nothing. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.